This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. It's been a few weeks and I'm so happy to have you back. Hi, Eric. Hey, how are you? Good. Eric Anderson, Editor-in-Chief over at Awards Watch. You've been so busy, busy. Um, you're doing such an incredible job over here. Awards season is pretty much in its apex now. You have some great articles up. I love the one you just wrote on the best trivia and stats from the nominations. Are are you uh, getting through this? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so funny because we were, you know, we've been complaining that this extended season has made everything take so long. And now that we're here, <laughs> now that the the Oscar nominations are out, it's like, okay, here we are. <laughs> and there's going to be this weird, like, quiet period for the next two weeks. And then once April 1st starts, that's it. All bets are off because there's there's a guild or an awards show or announcement like literally every single day until the every 25th. Day, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I thought we have to talk about these nominations that were yesterday. Um, and I thought what we do is a little breakdown and just run through the categories. But first, in general, give me your thoughts about the nominations yesterday. So ultimately, uh, I think they're pretty fantastic. I was really excited. There are very few things that you know I was extremely disappointed with. Uh, some surprises, but again, when we do this kind of thing in hindsight, you can start the reverse engineering of how did we get here, and then it starts to make sense and it it's, it works out. And you you can say, oh, okay, this is the part that I missed in in this puzzle here. Mm -hmm. But I, th I think the nominations are incredible. Um, we have, I mean, pretty, pretty obviously the most diverse lineup in terms of writers and, and acting nominations and, and even more so with directing, you know, we have for the first time ever in 93 years, two women nominated in directing. We have the first Chinese American woman nominated. We have the first uh, woman nominated for her debut feature. There are more firsts this year than any time in, in my memory. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's wonderful. I think it's in, in having this conversation about all of these great firsts, it has to be coupled with the fact that it's taken so long for them to happen. Um, you know, we have two Black Best Actress nominees in the same year, which hasn't happened for almost 50 years. That's crazy. Yeah, we have the first Asian actor nominated for Best Actor, Stephen Yoon, ever. Ever, ever. And 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 those are, that's how you kind of have to couch it. And it, it's unfortunate because you really want to celebrate and we should be celebrating the, the success of, of these nominations. But they do have to be, you know, coupled with the understanding that that there is still the underlying issues this doesn't solve you know oh, we're not done racism. we haven't solved <laughs> <laughs> you know it's there, there's there's a lot more there's there's a lot more to do and i think part of this i think i said this on the rotten tomatoes is that with the with the pretty much near removal of of all studio films this year with a 
very few exceptions. The voters really had no choice, really, but to, to go for these movies that they might not normally go for in a year with, with larger films. So the onus was on them to do it. Um, but what does that mean for next year? when all of these 2020 films that were pushed to 2021 are in the mix, what's gonna happen to the, the black films and the women led and directed films next year? Are they gonna just get sidelined? This may be an anomaly. I think it might be a little bit, but at mm -hmm. the same time, the Academy has you know, made its, its position clear about what it's going to take to get Best Picture nominations in the future, which I think is starts with the 2024 or 2023 year, uh, where you have to meet a whole bunch of criteria and requirements in terms of who's making the film, the subject of the film, behind the scenes of the film, and not just you know directing and writing, but also with publicists and assistants and all that. So they're they're trying to make this top down impact which you know it's it's fine but it's really only speaks in terms of awards so I, th I think we might see some really interesting and strange fluctuation in the next couple of years but it's a, it as you were mentioning it's a it's a these eight best pictures, they could have been 10, but they're, they're eight, um, is in a pretty incredible lineup. I mean, I've heard many people say that, you know, there's no Bohemian Rhapsody in sight. I mean, every single movie here is a really excellent movie. Um, tell me a little bit, what do you think about this lineup? We have The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Well, in a strange kind of way, how, you know, how the BAFTAs did their juried nominations for directing and acting, but then everybody got to vote for best film. And all of those juried nominations are packed full of really diverse lineups. Like their directing has one white male in it. That's it. Uh, the, the acting lineups are, are cover cultures, countries, races i mean it's really really diverse but their best film lineup has no black led films at all yeah and then look what happened great look, omissions yeah look well no that i mean with bafta and then look and then look what happened with the oscars it's something very similar there was a great focus on the acting and the writing and the directing categories for diversity and it's there and then look at the best picture lineup. There's one black-led film uh, with two films missing that have been in the conversation since day one. And, and there's, there's something about that that really is kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, that's One Night in Miami, um, directed by Regina King, and that's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And both of those are strangely missing from a lineup that could have been 10, which I'm sure is how, you know, the vote works and everything like that. But, but um, yeah, that was a disappointment. Yeah, I was definitely expecting nine. It's been the majority since the sliding scale of the expanded lineup. It's only been eight or nine. So it was only going to really be one of those two. And I, I did underestimate the father to my mm -hmm. own detriment, because I had Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami both getting in here and the father just on the outside. 
but you know, voters obviously saw it differently and actually saw the film, which I can't complain about because it's a great film. And Mank has 10 nominations, so it's leading the pack here, but at the same time, it still feels like it doesn't have a lot of buzz, strangely. Can you explain that? You know, <laughs> it's um it, it's it played out almost exactly as I expected. It missed two of the biggest nominations that it could possibly have missed. It missed screenplay, which is kind of crazy, even though I had it in fifth place and it, I felt it was vulnerable. But the entire movie exists because of David Fincher's father writing this. And there's, you know... And it's also a movie about a screenwriter. <laughs> I, I am just really surprised that the writing branch said no to a movie that is about a writer taking credit over somebody else and getting the Oscar for it. I mean, it seemed like it was like perfect bait for them and they didn't go for it. And as you were saying, the whole narrative about David Fincher's father, he really did this for him after he passed. And, and it, I, I was really surprised. Yeah, this has been a passion project for, for Fincher for a very long time, the same way that The Irishman was for, for Scorsese. And, and a while back, this is kind of how I started to feel that this was going to be The Irishman for Netflix this year. And it was, you know, the, the film that began kind of as their number one and like, here's where this is where we're going to get it. And then it just started falling away. And it started falling away for these other films that like Promising a Woman and Minari and Sound of Metal that are these indies that just blew up at the right time. So who, who in the original screenplay category sort of took Manx's place, would you say? Um, well, I guess it depends on, on, how, <clears throat> on how you see that category because I think uh, Promising Young Woman, Minari and The Trial of Chicago 7 were predictions that most people had. And four and five were like Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank and Sound of Metal. And it was gonna be a combination of those two. And I think most people had Mank and then one of the other two in. Right. So, and I, I did, I had uh, Trial, Promising a Woman, Minari, Mank and Sound of Metal. I definitely had Mank with that with that narrative. I mean, but again, it's taken a whole bunch of below the line nominations. Mank has we have Gary Oldman who got the nomination, Amanda Seyfried got the nomination, but it didn't get one of the nominations that you have taught me is one of the important ones to predict best picture winner and that's editing. I think the stat was that in, in 30 years only one picture has won and that's Birdman that didn't have the editing nomination and Mank doesn't have it there. Yeah I mean that was the kind of thing I think the, that should have kept people you know following the race between Green Book and Roma kind of uh, in check. <laughs> And, you know, it was this, this was a prediction that, that, that I made, too, that it was going to miss uh, editing here. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I made it because it, it just, it felt like it. It felt like, even though I knew that Mank was going to lead the nominations, and it did considerably, it's the only film that got double digits, which is kind of a surprise as a sidebar. It um, is, yeah. But it still missed two of the most crucial things. I mean, there is, at this point, there is zero chance that it would be able to win Best Picture. Because you can't win without one of those two. Not in this era. 
You did predict all of the nominees in the director category, including Tomas Winterberg. I mean, I'm so happy for that nomination, but you were one of the few that had it in there. Tell me about that. Yeah, I don't know any of uh, other pundits that that predicted this correctly, and 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 for Winterberg in, and that it would be Sorkin that would be out. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty happy with that, and I will probably carry that for like the next ten years <laughs> because that's your new that, Danish Medal of Honor. <laughs> it really will be. It will be. Um, it's it's funny because this category now is sort of becoming weirdly predictable that the branch is going to go for a European filmmaker or two that they really like over somebody else. And I mean, I know that Sorkin has a bit of a questionable reputation. And so it was, it was easy to kind of peg him as the one that was going to get snubbed. You mean questionable reputation as a director or? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just from what I've heard, not, you know, trying to be too rumor mill about it, but yeah. So I just kind of used a little bit of that. I used the person that I thought was going to benefit the most from it. And logically, Florian Zeller really would have been seemingly the person that would have benefited. The father, the father. Did, ex- did extremely well. It's in Best Picture. It's in editing. Um, and, and I know a lot of people had predicted him as, a, as, as the possible, you know, outsider to, to get in, you know, that didn't get DGA or, or whatever. Uh, but Zeller did get the first time DGA nomination. And some people were also predicting Darius Martyr to get in, uh, who was also nominated there. But I don't know. It was this was a, a gut feeling. I don't have much more other than that it was a gut feeling. You know, another round is definitely the front runner for international foreign films. So that was kind of an easy choice. I think Mads Mikkelsen was very close to best actor. Mm-hmm. And I think the screenplay was very close in screenplay. So putting all that together. It has two now. It has um, best foreign or international, mm-hmm. I guess it's called now in this. So, um, But this is also the category with the historic two women that you were mentioning at the beginning, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Could have been three. Why not Regina King? Well, I mean, obviously the the film not getting into picture spoke to uh, a, a bit of its weakness. It did get into screenplay where Ma Rainey did not. Um, Regina King did not get into the, the main DGA category. She did get into the Golden Globes, but they didn't nominate the film there. I think she was absolutely very close in this. Very, very close. Mm-hmm. But the film needed to be a stronger player in a way that it didn't, that another round didn't need to be for Thomas Vinterberg. Let's get into actress in supporting role. Now, I love this category. I think there's a lot of talk <laughs> about here. I was so happy. The first um, announcement of the evening was actually Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film. And I just think she's the story of the year who dared to do this movie and just sort of came out of nowhere. And Talk a little bit about the other ones here. This was pretty predictable, although, you know, I'm a, I was a little bit surprised that Amanda... Seifert was able to to manage to get in after the SAG snub, uh, although it did have her in sixth place. So I I think the lineup is 
there there aren't any surprises here at all. I think some people were, you know, trying to predict Glenn Close to not get in. That was never going to happen. She was always going to get in. Um, I think the strength of Minari showed yesterday with the nominations. So uh, Yunya Zhang definitely was going to get in. I actually have her and Maria Bakalova kind of fighting for the top spot. Mm, and that. Olivia Coleman, even though she missed the BAFTA, has been the most consistent uh, outside of Bakalova. So I don't, I didn't see her missing. So this was a pretty easy category. The fact that Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman are duking it out again <laughs> is just too weird. <laughs> it is. Yeah, go ahead. I, I had had Jodie Foster in based on her Golden Globe win, which would have been another, you know, I thought fight so too. with Glenn Close. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Glenn Close now has the same, a Razzie and an Oscar for the same role. Has that ever happened before? It's happened two times before, but it's been almost 40 years. The last time was Amy Irving in Barbara Streisand's Yentl in 1983. So she'll be historic in that sense. Do you think that she will actually win, though, for this role? I don't think so. No, this isn't. This isn't a. I know she's on her, you know, eighth nomination. This isn't the type of win for like a career win. This isn't a Paul Newman or an Al Pacino or a Geraldine Page type of win. But why is she nominated? Considering the criticism for this role, I think she is still extremely well liked, and. I actually like her performance. I think her performance is really, really good. Uh, and I think that they were able to look, you know, maybe outside of the film itself. And I mean, it got the makeup nomination too. And the makeup for Glenn Close and her performance really go hand in hand. So I didn't, I didn't really see, you know, a way to separate that anyway. Mm -hmm. But I just think they respect her. I think it's a good performance. And I, I can't really invalidate this. Okay, well, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, and in supporting actor, not a <laughs> lot of surprises except one. Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr. There we have One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal. And then the surprise of the evening, Lakeith Stanfield, also for Judas and the Black Messiah. Two, the two leads getting in for supporting. <laughs> I guess depending on, on how you look at it. Yeah, this is, um, there. I mean, there was not a bigger surprise, obviously, than this nomination. It's never happened before, ever, this this type of a, a lead actor getting in for supporting here, while being pushed, you know, lead everywhere else, and Daniel Kaluuya was the clear uh, supporting frontrunner. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, you know, it's... I, I keep trying to figure out what the mindset of the voters were because it's such a risky, risky thing. Mm -hmm. But there's something to it that's, that speaks to, I guess, integrity would be the best word because they really felt that he was supporting. They risked their vote by voting for him there and it paid off. Yeah. But it's, it's wild that this many voters all kind of coalesced to do that, you know, with obviously, you know, you can't really collude for this kind of thing. No, I was just saying it's not even colludable, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it, was, it was a shock. But it's also just kind of weird because 
even though the the film is the point of view of Stanfield's character and you know he the story is his this is a Fred Hampton film and he is the majority player and you know you in looking at other films that are like this that sort of straddle the line between who's lead and who's supporting for these kinds of stories if we looked at the past Kaluuya should have been lead and Stanfield should have been supporting but that's not what other movies have told us Training Day or The Last King of Scotland those both speak to you know, people whose story it is ended up playing the backseat role and, and, and being supporting. But to quote that meme, um, Judas and the Black Messiah, it's the titular role, and in this case, <laughs> roles. <laughs> that, you're right, you're right. The, the, ti- the title is both of their roles, which is pretty funny. And it, it's funny, too, because it took so long to get to supporting actors nominated from a film and then now it's happened three times in the last you know three years but we haven't had two lead actors from the same film since uh amadeus i think 84 yeah so i i think it's i think it's i think that's one of the reasons and and the same with lead actress we haven't had that since selma louise uh so i think when you're putting together a campaign and a strategy you're not going to campaign two people you know of the same gender in, in lead, you're going to split them up regardless of screen time or whatever. Yeah. Just spread the wealth in order to win. Right. I mean, or at least to get nominated. Yeah. Well, let's talk about actress in leading role. Um, Viola Davis, Andra Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. There were no surprises for me here really for you. No, this was the easiest category to predict. Uh, I know very few people who did not predict this five because anything outside that was just never going to happen. Easy, easy, easy category. And actor in leading role, Riz Ahmed. He is the first um, Muslim actor ever to be nominated. Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, and Stephen Yeun. Surprises yes. here? Um. No, this was the, the five I predicted as well. Uh, it's no, there there were no real surprises. I'm sure there were, you know, there were some six, seven, eights that were possible, but they just weren't. No, they weren't strong enough. So, talking about some other categories, what about international feature film? What we have some a, a surprising thing there at that. The incredible Romanian film Collective is nominated both here and in documentary. Has that happened before? It actually just happened last year, but that was the first time ever. And that was Honeyland from North Macedonia. But that was the first time. And, and now here it is again. And we had three films that were possibly going to be able to get this. We also had uh, Naturno from Italy and The Mole Agent from Chile. And, and the mole agent did make it into documentary, but not into international feature film. And documentary had Crip Camp. I was disappointed not to see Dick Johnson there, which I was really hoping for. Um, but I guess this was, was this any surprises here for you? For me, the surprise was my octopus teacher, even though I had it in sixth place. It hit every place that it was really needed to, PGA, DGA, and, and all of these great precursors. But it's, it's an animal movie. 
it's an animal doc, and this branch does not like them. It's Gunda. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it pushes yeah. back on them all the time. So I kind of went with my with my gut in this category, which was extremely, extremely difficult. And um, I think I got three, three out of five. And I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that they picked this. I thought we were going to get much more other than, than time there. We're missing a lot of the, you know, the political docs. None of them are here. Yeah, the Stacey Abrams documentary was very disappointing that it's not or, here. Or Boys State. Um, uh, my, my biggest disappointment of the day was Welcome to Chechnya not being here or in visual effects. Um, so I'm, or, you know, 76 days, which, again, you can't get more timely than that. So I, I was surprised. I was really surprised by... Uh, Octopus Teacher. I think Mole Agent is a great nomination. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to watch it this week. I'm, I'm sorry for those who do, but I just didn't like The Octopus Teacher. It was not for me. I w I'm surprised because it feels like a pretty divisive movie, too, um, that it actually got in there. But um, Collective and Crip Camp are amazing movies. So Yes. And Time. Time, and time is, also. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So talk a little bit about the um, below the line categories. Is there anything here that sticks out to you that you want to talk about? Husavik. <laughs> I, Husavik, I am so, so, so glad got in here. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I predicted it, so I feel really good about that. But, and, and this lineup is, is extremely unsurprising. Um, but I'm, I'm just glad that it got in. It's such a beautiful song. I listen to it all the time. I get goosebumps every time I listen to it. It's so, it's beautiful. It's a, you know, it's a, the movie's a parody and it's full of parody songs. And this is the one that's not. And it really is a, it's a gut check. It really gets you. Could be the winner, right? It, it could be. Leslie it, Odom, maybe. Well, I mean, I don't know. It didn't get into... Yeah, it didn't get into um, Best Picture, which is, you know, still a surprise. Uh, but speaking of Speak Now, this is, this is another thing that never used to happen and now has happened four times in a row where somebody is nominated for an acting performance and an original song for the same film. That never, ever happened until 2017, until Mary J. Blige. So she was nominated for Mudbound and she was nominated uh, in original song. And then it's, it happened and happened and happened again. And, and here we are. <laughs> and this what you're, is Leslie Odom Jr. who is uh, nominated for his role in One Night in Miami as well as for this song. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I think he could take this. I mean, there's a good narrative there. I think so, too. I mean, I don't think anybody has a better narrative than Diane Warren. But at the same time... <laughs> You know, I, she's had that narrative for so long now. It's the Glenn Close and her. <laughs> it like... is. I I said on I said on a podcast yesterday, and it might even be, you know, for Glenn Close too. Uh, I I think the the music branch is almost trolling Diane Warren at this point, where oh, they're no. always going to nominate her, but she's never going to win. I don't think she's she could win for this in this weird year, but it doesn't feel like it. Um. What? But in sound 
an original score. Sorry, there we have um, Trans Retner and Atticus Ross nominated twice. Were you expecting that? Both yes. for Soul and for uh, Mank. Yeah, I was definitely expecting that. The only thing that was a bit of a surprise here was Defy Bloods as its only nomination. I'm glad that it got in, but... How are you feeling about that? The Five Bloods only getting one. I think it's. I think it's horrible. I think it's tragic, and it's and it's. It deserved much better than it got, and you know it's it's tough when you are, a studio like Netflix that has, ten different films, and you're trying to you know find a place for them all, and sometimes they're really really good at hyper-focusing where a movie can do well. The the Rosamund Pike movie, I Care A Lot, was from day one, you know, always going to be a play for the Golden Globes and for her uh, in comedy. And it worked. It worked perfectly. Um, but Defy Bloods being a June release, kind of, it was, tr- it was testing the waters of what movies were going to be and what maybe awards were going to look like for the 2020 and 2021 season because it was so early in the year and you know right as summer was was canceled by coronavirus so i think it it was able to carry itself through the season very well and then do do well with critics new york film critics gave Delroy Lindo the win, they gave Chadwick Boseman the win, which really kicked off uh, Boseman's little mini run there. And, but it was all kind of, not false, but it was, it it gave false hope, I guess. Yeah, I thought that was surprising. I was expecting Delroy Lindo actually um, a a lot more. And I was just reading that both um, Chloe Zhao the director of Nomadland and um, Shaka King, the director of Judas and the Black Messiah, are Spike Lee's old students. So, and oh. he didn't get in, but and yeah, uh, so he has he's sort of watching over this whole season um, and bringing up talents behind him. And um, yeah, and you were mentioning that that Netflix has so many movies. Do you think they've sort of taken on too much they can chew in terms of Oscar? I mean, which which are the movies that they've really pushed the most for this Oscar season? Well, yeah, I do think that they are doing that, and they did that last year, too. I think they, you know, they really want to get three Best Picture nominees in, and obviously they really want to win. And, you know, they again, this year, just like last year, they only got two. Ma Rainey didn't make it in. Five Bloods didn't make it in. And they won't win at yeah. Most likely. Yeah. The the main two are Mank and Trial of the Chicago Seven, which are two extremely, extremely white driven films. And they just played better overall with the Academy. With voters. Even even with all of these new voters. Today, as of today, do you think it's Nomad Land who's gonna win Best Picture? I think it's it's only between Nomad Land and Trial of the Chicago Seven. Even with Sorkin missing director, we you know we just saw that happen with Green Book a few years ago, and I think with the preferential ballot, it benefits Chicago Seven, unless you know Nomadland can just steamroll that. 
but I, th I think it's it's really just between those two. I think Minari is third, but it's a pretty distant third, and then it doesn't really matter after that. I saw someone speculate that Promising Young Woman could actually take it and, and not even take anything else. That's That will happen. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you. I was just wondering what you thought of that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's... It, it... And Minari is also it, it, one of those movies that you'll put in it, this again, for those that don't know, talking about the preferential ballot, the one, two, three, two, three counts a lot. So if a lot of people have Minari on two and three and, and that could be, you know, the yeah. movies. That... And that's 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 exactly right. And that's yeah, it's the one, two, threes that really matter, because once the ballots start cycling through again, you know, they, they go to the twos and, and the threes. But but to speaking to promising young woman, it, when I say it'll never happen, it's I mean that it it wouldn't be able to happen just on its own as the only win. It would win, it would win like uh, screenplay or uh, actress or both. You're like to quote the great Oprah, who's having that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> and and that, but see that's kind of that's an interesting thing where even though we, we don't live in an era of, of sweeps for films anymore like we used to do. Right. And then the last, the last big winner we had was The Hurt Locker. We haven't had any, any film win more than, than seven or win more than four and win Best Picture since then. So I think, I think we could see a few clues at the beginning of the show depending on, on the order of awards if they were to do any of the if they were to do original screenplay early in the show and it was not trial of chicago seven and it was promising young woman instead i think that would that would give us a clue that trial probably isn't winning best picture and that nomadland has has it at that point right. we didn't talk about adapted screenplay what are your thoughts there well, that was where one of the places that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom missed. And I know a lot of people were predicting that because we had so many adapted plays this year. And we did. And only two of them got in, The Father and One Night in Miami. But we also got The White Tiger, which was definitely in that mix. And, you know, it, it got to be announced by Priyanka Chopra Jones, who was in the film. So I think I think a lot of people when they announced that that her and Nick Jonas were going to be in, they knew it was in. doing the nominations are like okay I'm going to switch my prediction up a little bit <laughs> you know that's that's fine and but then Borat got in which I know a lot of people predicted and it you know it got WGA it got PGA so that definitely boosted the the film and the first film got in this category as well so it's it's in good company with itself to be here. Any other on, on sort of in terms of cinematography and costume design and production design, anything there that you feel of interest looking forward? I was really happy to see Pinocchio get into costume design. The, the makeup nomination was obvious and definitely going to happen, but I think the, the costumes in the film are also completely flawless and beautiful and indelible. So I was really glad to see, uh, to see that get in there. Yeah, I think you had written that in, in makeup, um, we have two 
black women nominated in makeup design for Ma Rainey, that that's never, that's an historic thing as well, right? It, it is. There's never been a black person, period, nominated in this category. And now we have two in, in one film. So it's, it's really, it speaks a lot to how these groups see things like black makeup and black hair, because these are not, um, these are not prosthetics and stuff like Hillbilly Elegy or Pinocchio, uh, or it's not the, the, the glamor of, you know, white women in Mank. It's not the, the, the careful hair of period pieces like Emma. This is something different, but it's in movies all the time that just never get recognized. So the, their nomination here is, is amazing. And in terms of animated feature, that felt like um, it was pretty much what we thought it would be. I know many people were thinking that Soul um, could also get a best picture and be nominated in a couple more places other than um, Score, which is also nominated, but I guess that didn't happen. No, it got in sound, which was the first time in 10 years that an animated film has gotten in sound. They used to get in all the time. But uh, it was never, ever, in my estimation, uh, going to get into Best Picture, ever. So, But that's just me. That's just you. <laughs> well, you, you've been right many times, so um, that's good. <laughs> Um, and but talk about to round this off. They um, what do we know about the Oscar ceremony itself? Well, the ceremony they announced two different things. One was announced uh, just before the nominations were by the Academy president David Rubin, and he announced that it's going to be live on April twenty fifth, as as we know. Uh, but in two locations, uh, Union Station in Los Angeles and the Dolby Theater, where it traditionally is at Hollywood and Highland in Hollywood. And then the day after, or later in the day, uh, Variety reported that they won't be doing any of the traditional in-person things like the Oscar nominees luncheon or the international feature film nominee reception or even the public pro sh uh, programming of the shorts and, and uh, animated and international feature film makeup and stuff, which, which is unfortunate. Those are really great for people to, to see those if they don't normally see those kind of movies. Um, but the bigger thing was that this is not going to be a fully fleshed out in-person awards. The only people that will be there in these two locations will be the nominees, their guests, and the presenters. So that's it. There's no, so that means there's no lottery. There's no, uh, uh, nobody bleachers in the stands, nobody, anything like that uh, in the auditoriums or anything. So it'll be very, it'll be a much smaller group and, and more muted. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, one of the things, you know, the whole red carpet and all the other extra extra celebrities and jack nicholson in the front row and all that you know what will will that be missed or or it will it be something different this time that that was actually be really interesting i think so and as we've seen from the televised award shows that we've had so far 
they are cratering in the ratings. People are just aren't, aren't watching them. Um, and, you know, it's not that award shows haven't gone down year to year anyway, but I, I mean, I expect these ratings to be like all time low. Low. Yeah. No one's seen the movies either. That's, that's something that happens every single year. And, and this year's no exception. No, but usually there's one, I mean, or, you know, a couple of those big ones, as you were mentioning at the top of the show, um, the studio movies, but this movie, this year is particularly small. Yeah, the, the biggest box office film is uh, Promising Young Woman uh, with like $5 million. Wow, that's amazing. Exactly. And Steven Soderbergh is directing the show. He is producing the show oh, with, producing. With, uh, with Jesse Cullen and uh, Stacey Scher. And I, I have heard some really, really good things about what Soderbergh has, in, has planned. Okay, what can you tell that's us? All, that's all I can say. No. That's all I can say. Okay, well, that's hopeful. I heard that they're actually not closing Union Station so that people will be running to catch trains and things. I did. It was one of the journalists that said. That seems pretty unlikely since, you know, that, that defy. Yeah, I think it was on, on breakfast all day. Some breakfast. Yeah, they, they said it on close. I also thought, like, is Steven Soderbergh planning some, like, you know, handheld camera thing when someone's catching their, you know, train? Or it's like, Although that would totally be like a, a Soderbergh thing to do. Yeah. I know. That's why I mentioned it in, in Soderbergh. <laughs> and he'd be like, who do you think should win? Can you announce this? Oh, my God. That would be so funny. Ask him. Funny. It feels like you have some secret in with him that you're not telling me since you know these I, things. That's I'm, I can't say anymore. Or give him that idea. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really wish that they had opted for something outside since it's going to be later in the year. Uh, mm -hmm. What the Grammys did uh, this weekend, I yeah, thought was was, good. was was great. I thought it was really cool to have that rooftop uh, uh, section for for the for the show. And there's no reason why the, the Oscars couldn't have done that at Hollywood Bowl or or somewhere really, really fun. Yeah, that was an odd choice not to do that. But we'll see. We're, 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 Soderbergh will you know, pull through for us, I'm sure. I think so. I think it'll be a great show regardless. Eric, thank you so much again. This was so much fun. And congratulations on all your, um, your great predictions that turned out <laughs> well this year. And then I will absolutely be calling on you again. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> I know, right.